You're listening to a medical miscellany, a curious casebook of brilliant discoveries, scientific advances, bizarre cures, and some downright quackery. Dr. Peter Kay and Sean Aita. Episode 9, Some More Self-Experimenters. Good morning, Sean. Hi. So we're carrying on with our podcast on the self-experimenting doctors because we ran out of time last time, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And we probably ran out of time again. There's so many of them. And I think in some ways they're our medical heroes, the people that did this to themselves. And there's a long, long list of them. Talking of medical heroes, if we were Peruvian, we would know of one because there's oh, a yeah. very famous doctor, as you know, he was a medical student called Daniel Carrion, who uh, in the end of the 19th century did an experiment on himself that became so famous that there are many statues and marketplaces named after him in Peru. Uh-huh. So he's a very famous name. Many people haven't heard of him. But what he did was investigate a condition, well, two conditions really, that were that had just broken out a few decades earlier in the Andes, particularly in the mountains of the Andes. Yeah. One was called Arroyo Fever, uh, named after a railway station where they were putting in the Trans-Andes Railway. So yeah. anyway, they were getting this horrible fever and dying from it. And nobody quite knew what it was, um, but, it, but it was associated with that particular place, Arroyo. Right. So it was called Arroyo Fever. Yeah. But the other thing that was very common up in the Andes, in the valley, particularly the valleys, the villages would get a very strange thing they call Peruvian warts, which they would break out with these nasty, nasty, they were bigger than warts, they were great big fleshy things and horrible and they'd bleed. And he had this theory that the two the two diseases were in some way related because right. they were both happening in the Andes. Yeah. So he, you could say bravely or stupidly, probably both, took a bit of a, a sample of one of these things off a patient. Yeah. Got a, a colleague to scratch it into his own arm to see what would happen. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So he just he just that, inoculated himself with it when you sort of scratch it through the skin. Course, he didn't, didn't yeah. put it straight into a blood vessel. He inoculated it through the skin and scratched it in. Yeah. And waited, and he was fine for. Three weeks, and then he started to get poorly, and he started to get feverish, and then his lymph glands swelled up oh. in his body, and then he started to bleed from various places. He got blood in his urine, oh. and he got worse and worse and worse. He was then ill for another 18 days, so another, perhaps nearly another three weeks, yes. and finally died. And he realised oh. by the end that he was he was going to die from this thing, and he realised he'd made a terrible mistake. Yeah. But he started off really just trying to... He was, he was writing a thesis about this about this disease and thought, I'll, I'll just really try and find out. So he did link them. It did turn into yeah, Arroyo right. fever. So this, this, the Peruvian warts did become Arroyo fever. So they, they were dis, dis, in fact, we now know that they are due to a bacteria that gets transmitted in sand flies, but the sand flies only live at high altitude, oh, about 3,000 metres. Okay. So it's the sand flies that were carrying this bacteria, which which got worked out by later doctors, a doctor called Barton. So the, the bacteria is called Bartonella. So he managed to link those two diseases, and so he managed to link that, and he became a hero. You could say he was made. You could say he was made a foolish error, but some he's considered a hero in Peru for, for making that discovery. Right, fantastic. Mm. And you told me um, uh, just before we started this podcast about another um, doctor who uh, swallowed a fluke. Oh no, Sorry he's my. I think he's my favourite. Horrifying. I, I think he's my biggest medical experimenting hero. Okay, tell um, me about him. I'm going to turn the page. It might make a bit of a noise. Oh, okay. He was called Claude Barlow uh, in the 40s. He did this, and he was a medical missionary in China. And a lot of pe- people those days in China had a, 50% of the population had flukes and intestinal flukes. Uh, what's what, called fasciolepsis. What, what exactly are flukes? Well, they're little Just... tiny little animals, uh, yeah. worms really, that live in this case in your in, in the gut of humans. A bit like a tapeworm. Then. Yeah, a bit like a tapeworm, but smaller. Yeah. Okay. Flukes. Well, having said smaller, they're, 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 they're one inch long. These things. They're, they're, wow. They're pretty big. Yeah, that's pretty big. And he thought he wants to to work out which 
diet might be causing it or might be help might help it yeah most people who had them weren't that poorly many people just felt kind of under the weather or chronically ill bit you know a bit anemic yeah. not not eat, a bit of sickness abdominal pains poor poor diet poor appetite that kind of thing but many people didn't even know they got flukes until right. they got more ill and sometimes even intestinal obstruction and serious illness yeah, but yeah. most of the time not much but he swallowed these things and he actually can you imagine swallowing a live fluke i know i can't disgusting he went to, so he had to go into a darkened room to do it and sort of swig them down with water and take yeah, 15 at a time oh my yeah, goodness anyway he did it and then he sort of studied the effects on himself and to cut a long story short he made an amazing discovery because he discovered that the thing that was causing it was eating water chestnuts which was very very part of the staple diet then horse chestnuts water chestnuts a water chestnut. sort of part chinese staple diet yeah, yeah and the larvae of the flukes were living on the skin outer skin of the water chestnut so by peeling the skin off yeah it, it drastically cut down the incidence of these flukes and, and it was a very very important health measure oh, that's brilliant we came about through his amazing discovery but then you think he'd have had enough by then you know to, to, to do it once like that is is pretty good but then he did it again because he was then uh, working in egypt right I've spent 20 years studying a disease, parasitic disease called schistosomiasis, which is again a parasitic worm. And there is different types, but the one he was investigating gets into the bladder and it causes very nasty oh, bladder pain. Know, I've read blood. about those African worms that supposedly if you pee in yeah. some lake, you, yeah. They, yeah. They, they come up jumps through up the stream and gets yeah, you. Yeah, jumps up, swims upstream through yeah. the urine stream and gets into your bladder. Yeah, that's and a horrifying thought. Schistosoma hematobium. Right. So he had been investigated, but then he retired. So he went back, he was going to go back to America, back home to retire. 67. So you think he yeah. put his boots on, hang yeah, his boots yeah, yeah. on them. Yeah. No, no. He thought, I want to work out whether this, uh, the larvae of these things can survive in American snails. And, and so there are lots of people who had that thought and tried to put the, take the snails, infected snails that have got the, the they're carried in the snails, that they develop in the snails, and then the larvae swim out of the snails and in, into the human. Right. So they wanted to know whether the snails would, but they couldn't get them, they all died. Snails died before they could get them across the Atlantic or across the, back to America. <laughs> so he thought, the only way I'm going to do this I'm is sorry, to... sorry, just the thought of people shipping snails, snails across yeah. the Atlantic. Oh, I'm sorry, this one's died. Poorly snails, by no, the way. They're very poorly. Yes, no, we're never going to get them over in time. Treat them carefully. Yes, the days presumably... This one's looking a bit peaky. Yeah, you, you couldn't fly them across in those days. <laughs> no, I guess they? not. No, no, it's good, tough. Yeah. good point. Yeah. So anyway, he, um, he thought, the only way of doing this is to invest, my, in, in, invest myself. Yeah. So he scratched them again into his own skin and waited, and he thought he would then manage to rescue some of these things and put them into a snail. But he became far too ill too quickly. He became okay. desperately ill. It just sounds. This sounds like just a repeated theme yeah. in this self-experimenting. You scratch your skin, you put something in, and then you, you get in very ill. ill. <laughs> so I yeah. think I, I could just have written that down. Yeah. You, know, you will get extremely <laughs> ill if you do this. <laughs> It's almost as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, poor man. I mean, the suffering he went through, unbelievable. He had. He was getting up to pee every 20 minutes through the night, blood in his urine, oh. agony, yeah. couldn't sleep. Went yeah. on for months yeah. that he, what he put himself through. Wow. And he was so incredibly self-experimenting that at one point he got, he got sort of itching in his scrotal skin. So he got somebody to take a biopsy of the skin of his scrotum without an anaesthetic in case it disturbed the larvae to see what was happening in the skin and see, oh. see if they were spreading into his skin. I mean, what an extraordinary oh, man to have done all dear. that. He, got, he did get lots of awards for it in later life. Very pleased to hear it. He deserved them. He did. But what's amazing is he lived to be in his 90s. 
Really? With his, his scrotum well, he's and his intact? Yes, intact scrotum. He's gone through all that. Well, what a man. What a man. That is amazing. So he's up there as one of my medical heroes. Yeah, I can understand why. There was um, a really uh, shockingly unpleasant one in your um, medical miscellany that I noticed of self-experimentation. This chap who was experimenting with gonorrhea and Oh, yes, syphilis. John Hunter. The famous yes. John Hunter. Oh, my goodness. He was an amazing man, John Hunter. We've got, we'll have at least one podcast on him one day. Oh, um, but made, he well, made my eyes water when he, I was reading about yeah. it. Oh. He, he deliberately inoculated himself with pus from a patient who had, well, he didn't, he, he thought the patient had gonorrhea. It turns out they had gonorrhea and syphilis, so he ended up with gonorrhea and <laughs> syphilis. double whammy. So he gave it to both, but he was about to get married at the time, so it wasn't a very kind thing to have done. Uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty bizarre yeah, that he would yeah. choose to... And also he, he, ref- he pretended it wasn't him. He said, when he described it, he said he did it on a patient, but actually he did it on himself, we only <gasps> discovered. <gasps> So his, his wife kind of been best pleased when she found out. Right. But interestingly, he did go on to develop um, syphilis and um, the complications of syphilis, which as it goes on, it can one of the many things it can do is cause damage to the um, heart. And he developed angina in later life. Right. And he was famously argumentative and actually got into a fight with some hospital administrators, would you believe, <laughs> about some things that are going on in the hospital, and he got so excited and angry, he died. Died. Oh, <laughs> had a heart attack and died. So that's how he died. Oh, but he's a great. Isn't he? he was a fantastically genius, really genius. Syphilis, worth... um, syphilis drives you crazy in the end, doesn't it as well? Um, there is there's can, that... yeah, there's a thing called general paralysis of the insane, which is a form of dementia, and very rare now. But I have actually seen a case of it because. Once, when I was I was 17, my father was in the Rotary Club and his friend was a, a governor of a hospital, mental hospital. Um, uh, yes, whose name shall remain nameless. Whose name shall remain nameless. Uh, well, not, yeah, just uh, best keep anonymous for things, isn't it, for these, like, things like this. But anyway, he got me a job as a volunteer in this hospital because he knew I was going to be a medical student. Yeah. And uh, it was a very interesting experience uh, for me in lots of ways. But anyway, one of them was I... I was working to start with an industrial unit, basically screwing wires into plugs, and they're all sat round. The patients were sat round in right. doing this. And one chap started chatting to me, and I wasn't quite sure who he was who, who he was to start with. And he's pointed things out. He said that person there has got GPI, and he said you can see he's got a thing called trombone tongue. Can you see his tongue keeps coming in and out? And when he walks, you'll find, you'll find his steps go very high. It's called high stepping gait. And I think oh, blah, this must be, this must be a psychiatrist. Must be a doctor. Yeah. And I said, and um, what's your role? He said, oh, I, I'm a patient. I've been here 50 years. I've got a thing called institutionalised. I mean, he's very, said very proudly, I'm institutionalised. Oh, wow. <laughs> but he actually was high-functioning. He must have been. But he couldn't, couldn't cope anywhere else. He lived, he lived in the hospital. But anyway, that was interesting. But um, it, it's rare, very rare now uh, yeah. to, to see it. But um, so, it, it was around. So did they have syphilitic patients then? From the, the Syphilis the, itself burns out, but it leaves, it leaves the damage. Yeah. Uh, it can leave that full stage. Is that um, uh, play by... Uh, Ibsen, isn't there? Ghosts, where at the end the uh, the son, uh, the Alving's son, has um, he has syphilis and he basically yeah goes crazy right at mm. the end. Mm. Says the son, the son. He's staring out of the a, window. A, a relative of mine, again, who who will remain anonymous, also had it, and, oh, really? but it remained a family secret. So I only discovered wow. many years after the event. But it yeah. was it was in the thirties and. Uh, it was during a time when there was a strange uh, treatment arose for it. The, the idea came up as an Austrian doctor, yeah. a psychiatrist, who no, seemed to notice that it got better in patients with a high fever. So he thought, well, if we induce a high fever, that might help the syphilis. So he did a, a, a case of a, 
six patients, which nowadays would be a laughably small number. Yeah. I think in six patients, he t- he deliberately gave them malaria. And malaria. Malaria, to give, to give them a high fever. Yeah. And claimed that it improved their syphilis. <laughs> and this was so dramatic and so... But then they died of the malaria. Well, yeah, no, but you got quinine in those days, so you, yeah, could, you, okay. could, you, could, you could manage the malaria even if you couldn't cure it. Fair enough. But he actually won the Nobel Prize, I think it was the 1937 Nobel really? Prize for his work, which is certainly seen as a mistake now. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, he did. But it was quite funny because it was, became a, a, a fashion for about 10 years in this country. Hospitals would actually try and get these mosquitoes, infected mosquitoes, and get, bring them over in little boxes and then sit them on the patient's arm to make, to make, them, so to make them bite them to improve their syphilis. Improve the syphilis and with malaria. Malaria therapy. Oh, my goodness. You couldn't make it up, could you? No, that's brilliant. That's anyway, my relative had, had that experience, apparently. Well, had, well, had malaria therapy. Yeah. Which didn't, clearly didn't work. Um, they also uh, they use mercury as a cure for syphilis at some point yeah, as well. Yeah, a long just, time ago. All yeah. sorts of bizarre things. Yeah, that didn't work either. It caused a lot of salivation and caused all their teeth to drop out. It was a horrible yeah. treatment. But because it did something, you know, you made you salivate, people thought, well, maybe it's going to, to work. Yeah, um, it's that thing we were talking about, those visible effects, mm, again, like mm, with the bleeding, yeah, like with yeah. uh, anything that the doctor could show, there was some sort of en- mm. enemetic of some kind. Oh. Then, yeah. Well, salivation's quite dramatic, so. Yeah, I imagine so, yes. Wow, there you are. Okay, well, uh, we're coming uh, towards the end of our self-experimentation yet again. No, surely um, not. Yeah, relatively close, I think. So um, we'll probably have to uh, do another one next time. Have to wrap up now and do another one another time. Okay, thanks, Pete. Cheers. Our next podcast will be the last in the first series of a medical miscellany, and we're covering plagues and pestilence. Join us then. <laughs>